0: You guys can uh, turn around and grab your Bibles if you have one with you. And uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to remain standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to read, um, just like last week, I want to read verses 25 through 30 of Matthew chapter 11. Um, We're going to focus today on verse 27 by itself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. And I want to read verse 27 one more time. This is where we're going to focus today. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This is the Word of God. You guys can have a seat. I don't want to spend very much time um, by way of introduction. I want to just jump right into this verse because I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to try to... uh, to, to take it slow and, and to, to be clear on what I'm trying to get across this morning, and I, and I want to let you know what my goal is. And I didn't say this last week, but if you were to take last week's sermon, and today's sermon, and next week's sermon, you could actually put them all three together and make one really long three-point sermon. Last week we looked at, and, and my goal was to take God the Father and just put Him on display so that we would just sit in awe of who God is and what He's done for us. We would just, we would just be blown away by the bigness and the greatness and the, the, the magnificence of God. That was last week. Today, my goal is to take God the Son, Jesus. And again, I want to put Him on display. I want to take this verse and kind of break it down and... and like blocks, I want to stack these blocks on each other and build this wall that is just placarded with Jesus Christ. And hopefully that wall will be bigger than me and wider than me so that you don't see me, you don't hear my, my words or my, my, my eloquence. I want you to just behold Jesus. John Owen wrote a book, many of our guys read the book this summer called The Glory of Christ. And, and that's what I want us to think about today is just His glory. Just, just bask. In His glory. So, let's look at this verse. That's that's my goal and that's where we're going. I've I've taken this verse and broken it down into four distinct separations or characteristics or um, attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We're going to look at the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the eternal nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will look at the sovereign purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to distinguish between the words supremacy and sovereignty because, in a dictionary, they're almost synonymous. Sovereignty, as always, is the status that God holds as ruler over everything. He rules, He reigns, He owns it, it's His for the supremacy of Christ today for our purposes, I want to point specifically to the majesty and the superior glory, the splendor, the magnificence, the grandeur of Jesus that has been given to Him by the Father. And again, if we're thinking you know, in, in a Trinitarian mindset, we're, our minds are already blown at this point because we, don't, we can't fathom how this actually works So a lot of what we're going to do today is I'm just going to read to you truth, and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would would enlighten us and help us to grasp this, or at least come to terms with it and glory in it. So the first point that I want to look at, the first character trait, is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point in verse 27, it seems like Jesus has turned from praying to the Father, which Verses 25 and 26, he is addressing God the Father. Now he turns and speaks of the Father and the Son in third person. So it's, it's almost like he's turned and he's now addressing the crowds who would have been following him on a daily basis. And so he's turned and he begins by saying this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And we'll stop there. Last week... Jesus was praying, and we looked at the title that Jesus used. When he addressed God, he said, Father, and then he said, Lord of heaven and earth. And this is how he addresses God. And we said, um, and, and we've talked about this many times, how Father, that term Father, draws this intimate connection and this relationship between two people. Here it is Jesus and God the Father. If I call my dad father, that lets everybody else know, except for my sister, that me, he and I have a relationship that you don't have. He's my father. And when Jesus calls God father, he's letting everyone around him know there's something special between he and I that you don't understand. You don't have, at least at this point. And so there's this intimate connection, and this comes full circle now, and I believe that's why he addressed him as father, because he was going to bring it back up in this Next little section. Then He called Him Lord of Heaven and Earth. And we talked about that. What that means is that there's the heavens, the celestial bodies, everything in the universe, and then there's the earth, everything on this globe, and God owns it all. He rules it. He reigns over it. It's His. He does as He pleases. In the heavens, and on the earth, and in the seas... And in the deeps, all places, God does what He wants because it's His. So that's who Jesus is talking to, His Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, typically, when people talk about God, they will acknowledge, if they know very much theology at all, they will acknowledge that God is sovereign. Because to believe in a God, by definition, means you believe in a sovereign. If He's not sovereign, He's not God because... If there's one thing, R.C. Sproul would say one maverick molecule, if there's one molecule in the universe that is outside of God's control, then that molecule has the ability, because it's not governed by God, to overthrow everything. And that molecule becomes God. So if you don't believe in a sovereign God, you don't believe in a God. That, that's, that is practical atheism. It just doesn't work. So, so God is sovereign over all things. That was last week. Now, here, Jesus claims that this sovereign God who rules over everything has taken all things, the keys to all things, the keys to this kingdom, and He's just handed it to Him. They've been handed over to Him and given Jesus this office that is superior to every other office that has ever existed. He is supreme. And this is the supremacy of Christ. That He has been placed in that position of supremacy. And, and again, we embark on a topic now that is beyond our comprehension. We're going to talk about it. We're going to think about it. I would encourage you to, to just, just, just dig in. Focus and really let your mind chew on this. Notice what Jesus is doing. In, in chapter 11 so far, the disciples of John the Baptist came and they questioned Jesus. Then Jesus responded, look at the works that I'm doing. Then He goes on the defense of John to let everybody know John the Baptist was a great man. Then he goes on the offensive to rebuke those who have rejected John and rejected Jesus. Then he goes on the the, the, the uber-offensive and rebukes them publicly, these cities that had not repented. Jesus had done most of His mighty works there and they didn't repent. And so He has just rebuked them. In other words, I came to you and did the works of the Messiah and you did not repent. And now, He turns and He's bringing the God of the universe, the Maker of heaven and earth, to His defense. He's saying, in other words, you have rejected the Son of God. You have rejected the supreme authority of the universe. You've rejected the One, the only One whom you should have accepted. You've rejected Him. Now we've seen As we've studied through Matthew's Gospel, we've seen Jesus' power over sickness and disease and demonic oppression and death and even sin. But we've never seen or heard, read of Jesus actually calling attention to His power or displaying His power verbally until now. Now He comes out and He is actually drawing attention to His vast, majestic supremacy over all things. All things are the fathers, He's Lord of heaven and earth, and He has now given them to Me. Because only the sovereign God has the authority to give that. He's the only one who owns it, so only He can give it, and He's given it to the Son. Only He can exalt the Son to this position. Because He's Lord of heaven and earth. Listen to this from John 6, 27. The end of the verse, Jesus is speaking of the Son of Man, who is Himself, and He says, "...for on Him..." God the Father has set his seal. Now, a couple of quotes as to what that means from, from commentators. It says, He has been marked out and authenticated for that transcendent office to impart to the world the bread of everlasting life. Or another says, This seal means he has given him full authority to deal between God and man as God's ambassador to man and man's intercessor before God. This seal is is God's stamp of approval, His His stamp of significance, His stamp of ownership. When God set His seal on the Son of Man, He said, this is the One that I am putting forth as the One to be accepted, the One to be adored, the One to be worshipped. Again in John 6, uh, verse 40, He says, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So we we get this picture that there's there's God the Father who who is over all, and, and rather than say, believe on Me, and you will have eternal life. Just believe in God. But rather, within the Trinity, He has put forth His Son, the second person of the Trinity, and He said, no, this is the One. Out of an innumerable amount of ways, that God could have chosen to redeem His people. He could have done it any way. He could have given us all debit cards. He could have given us stamps. He could have given us stars or galaxies and said, here's your galaxy. He could have done it any way He wanted, but instead He puts forth His Son, the second person of the Trinity, causes Him to be born a human being under the law, live as a man, just like us, a man, fully man, and said, this is Him. This is the one I've chosen. If you will believe on him, you will have eternal life. That's how God has chosen to bring redemption to his people. He is the one, or Christ is the one who's been set up for this position. So Jesus would say things in his ministry. We have him recorded. He would say things like, I am the bread of life. M- meaning, I am me. I am nourishment for your soul. Without me, you have no. Spiritual life. You are spiritually dead. Or or I am the true vine. I am the, the connection into the covenant of God. Jesus could say that about Himself. Or He would say, I am the way to the Father. The way. The only way. There is no other way to God except through Him. Or I am the truth. In a world of competing ideas, imagine this, a man comes to you and says, of all these ideas... I am the truth. Or I am the life. In a world that is cursed and dying, Jesus says, but I am the life. He says, I am the good shepherd who cares for the sheep. I'm the light of the world. I'm the only way to see. In this world of darkness, I'm the only way to see. Everything is dark without darkness. Me, Jesus says, where I am the door of the sheep. The only way into the fold of God. All these things Jesus would say that would blow the minds of His hearers because He's not saying, I've got this philosophical idea or I've got this method. He's pointing to Himself as a man and saying, I am these things. Nobody else but Me. There is no other. The vote is over. There was one vote that was cast. It was signed by the God of the universe and... The Supreme One has been chosen, and it is the Son of God. That is the supremacy of Christ, that He rules over all, and that has been given to Him from the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him. Highly exalted. See, exalted means pick it up, highly exalted means pick it up and up and up and up. Every knee will bow. Someday you can bow now, or you can bow later, be forced to be to to be forced to bow by the rod of iron, or you can bow willfully, but every knee will bow because this is the one on whom God has placed his seal. Or in Daniel chapter 7, we read that passage that explained to us what the Son of Man is. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, This is the supremacy of Christ. He's been presented before the Father. The Father has given Him to His people and said, This is the One on whom I have set My seal. Now, Jesus says back in Matthew, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. Now these all things, if we're looking specifically in this context, back in verse 25, He said that God had hidden these things. And now He says, all things. So specifically, we could say he's talking about gospel truth, um, salvific revelation, the things that we need to know in order to be saved, the fact that we're sinful and in need of a savior. That, that Jesus Christ is that only savior. Those kinds of that kind of information. But then all things that like generally just means all things, everything. He, he owns it all. It's it's been given to the Son. So Jesus Christ. Because of the endowment of the Father has obtained the place of absolute supremacy over everything. And we hear this, and we have to confess with, with J.C. Ryle. He says, We must confess that there are heights and depths in this verse which are beyond our feeble comprehension. We just can't get there in our minds. And the last verse, I want to read for this one, Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8, says, You made Him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under His feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. We look at the world and we think, how can Jesus still be in control as bad as everything is? Scripture says, well, you just don't see it, but it is. He is in control of all things. He rules and reigns over everything. This is the Son of God. Now, if you remember last week how I built up God, you might can see where this is going, but I want to, I want to keep, keep moving. Number two, so that's the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we move into the eternal nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in this verse, "...no one knows the Son except the Father." And no one knows the Father except the Son. Now how do I get eternal nature from that? I'm going to take a couple steps to get there. When He uses the word know, no one knows the Father, no one knows the Son, that word doesn't just mean to know a fact. Did you know it was raining outside? Yeah, I know. No, that's not what this means. This word know is, is a very intense, specific, intimate knowledge. It is to know exactly. To know completely. To know through and through. It's intimacy and closeness. So, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used in places like Genesis 4.1 where it says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. Or Genesis 4.17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now when we read that, we know... That doesn't mean just knew who she was. That, that act by which a child is conceived is more than just knowing a fact. That's this same word. Or in Amos chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, are we to assume that God only knew about this one family? No. He's sovereign. He knows everybody. The the no here, you only have I known. He's saying you're the only people that I have covenanted with in this relationship. Therefore, because you've disobeyed, I'm going to punish you. So this this no is intense. It's close. It's special. So when Jesus says, no one knows... The Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. He's talking about a very close, intimate knowledge. We could say love. So no one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son. And this is a very intimate understanding. This is Jesus' way of speaking of the Trinitarian union between the Father and the Son that we as creatures, we can't even look into. We don't get it. We cannot fathom this. This is God knowledge. We, we just we don't get it. You say, well, it's like an egg or it's like an ice cube. No, it's not. It's like God. And there's only one. And so because this is Trinitarian, and because God is eternal, this is an eternal knowledge, an eternal love, an eternal relationship. So in Matthew 17, 5, We read, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is God speaking. He says, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So God loves the Son. Or John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. That's almost a direct parallel to what we're studying. Uh, John 5, 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Or John 10.17, For this reason the Father loves Me, Jesus said, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. Or John 15.9, As the Father has loved Me, so, I, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. The Father loves the Son eternally. This eternal intimate loving knowledge between the father and the son that's what we're talking about god knowledge god relationship and this is eternal in john 17:24 jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer he says father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world 1 Peter 1.20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Jesus is saying, no one has the relationship that I have with the Father. And no one has the relationship with me that the Father has. This eternal relationship is what Jesus is addressing. In John 1.18, John says, no one has ever seen God. The only God... Who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. At the Father's side, sometimes translated in the bosom of the Father. So try to try to picture this. In eternity past, the Son has been nestled in close in on the lap of the Father in perfect loving communion for eternity. That's where he has existed for eternity. Now why is it that this knowledge can only be shared by the Father and the Son? Well, the the easy answer is because the Son is God and God is God and that's how it works. But I think a better answer for for us is is that there has just existed from all eternity this intimacy with the Trinity between the Father and the Son that we can't fathom. I want to read you some sections from our confession. You know a confession. The, The point is to summarize what Scripture teaches about specific doctrines systematically. And so I'm just going to read this. This is the summary of Scripture on on God and then some things about the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And again, I'm reading this as as, as truth. We just have to accept and and pray that the Holy Spirit will help us grasp it. So our confession says, you can just listen, the Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent, and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but Him. He is perfectly pure Spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable human emotions. He alone has immortality dwelling in light that no one can approach. That's God. This divine and infinite being consists of three persons. The Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence with this, without this essence being divided. The Father is not derived from anyone, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son, eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All three are infinite and without beginning and are therefore only one God who is not to be divided in nature and being. So that's God. I mean, that's bigger than we can fathom. But then it speaks of the Son. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, having the same substance and equal with Him who made the world and who sustains and governs everything He has made. When the fullness of time came, He took upon Himself human nature with all the essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the Holy Spirit came down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus He was born of a woman from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David, in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without converting one into the other, or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. We can't comprehend it. We can't fathom that, that there is a man who was 100% man, just like us, and at the exact same time, 100% God of the universe. The theological term for this Relationship within the Trinity is circumincession, That they have just existed within the Trinity for eternity in, in, in perfect love and compassion and delight. The Puritan Edward Lee described it as the community of deity whereby all three persons remain together and are co-eternal delight to themselves. Or Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan said, a society among themselves whereby there is complete happiness among themselves. Rejoicing in, glorifying of, and speaking to each other. To sit and to ponder this, we could spend the rest of our lives and we will spend eternity just trying to fathom this. It is eternal. And this love is eternal. It's always existed. and We we just can't get there from here. But, number three, we'll look at the exclusivity of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So all of a sudden, we just talked about this this love, this union, this, this connection between the Father and the Son from all eternity that we can't fathom, that we can't understand, that we can't know, and then Jesus kicks the door open and says, now you can get in. There is a way that you can come into this. Will you fathom it? No. But you can come in. You can be a part of it. Now this is, this is, this is huge because we're just sinful creatures. We're fallen. We're depraved. We, we, we are alienated from God. He, He's holy and we're not. So for, for Jesus to speak as though there is a way that we can come into this we had best pay attention and we had best chew on this. There has been a way made into the Trinity in this special love with the Father, with the Lord of heaven and earth, with the Son. And it is only by the revelation of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can know the Father. Again, Jesus said, I am the way. Definite article, the. There's Not a way, not a part of a way, not some of a way, not a foreshadowing of the way. He's just the way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. There's only one way. And it is through the Son. Notice here, He did not say, no one knows the Son, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone that believes in a God. He does not say, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who tries to live a good moral life. He doesn't say, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who really, really wants to go to heaven. He doesn't say, No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone who seeks out the best spiritual path for themselves and just does the best they can with what they've been given. doesn't say that. It's only through the Son. This is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ as the revelation and way to the Father. He is the sole mediator of God's character. The sole mediator of God's salvific intentions. He is the exclusive agent of special revelation. You know, Romans says that we, we know that there's a God because we can look at the trees, we can look at the clouds, because of what has been created, it's obvious that there is a God. But with, with just that, we can't see that we're sinful and that we need to be redeemed, that we need to be saved. We can't see that. That's only revealed through the Father. Because there's no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is His exclusivity, but it's also a part of His supremacy. This has been given to Him. God has put His seal and said, this is the way that I'm going to give for my people to be redeemed. So there's no salvation except that which Jesus gives. And there's no way to that salvation except through Jesus Christ. So the doors have been flung open now. And all of a sudden, we can, we're able to kind of look inside this relationship. But we're still out here. We're still looking in. We can't see it. We can't be a part of it. We can't experience it until we get to the fourth point, which is the sovereign purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last part of that verse says no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now just like last week, this is where we get to that that hard part of theology that's hard for us to come to terms with because it takes salvation out of our hands and puts it into God's hands. See, we can't come to this, this knowledge. When Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father, we can't have that knowledge in and of ourselves. We can't just bring ourselves to it. This knowledge is salvation. Jesus said, this is eternal life. That you know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. That is eternal life. To know God. And we can't know God unless the Son chooses to reveal Him to us. We can't climb there. We can't make the mental ascent. We can't bring ourselves to that knowledge. We are simply too far gone in sin to comprehend this. The Bible says we're actually dead in trespasses and sins apart from Christ. But it actually gets worse because not only can we not climb this mountain, not only can we not make the ascent, but Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 says, "...as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one." No one understands, here it is, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. No one looks for Him. No one is looking for God. On our own, we're not looking for God. We might invent in our mind a concept of a God that we think exists, that we think would be a nice God to have, and we might pursue that, but no one searches, no one looks for the one true God. We can't bring ourselves there. We don't even try to bring ourselves there. So how is it that we can ever know the Father and the Son in this way that He's describing? And He says it at the end of the verse. The Son chooses to reveal it. It is His decision. His will. His deliberate choice. Now last week we saw that that was what the Father does. The Father is sovereign. The Father hides and the Father reveals and today we're reading that the Son reveals. And it it's because Jesus has been granted this position of supremacy. That because God is sovereign and He is sovereign over salvation and only the Son knows the Father intimately, then now this gift of, of sovereignty, this position has been granted to the Son and now He becomes sovereign as well. So now it is the prerogative of the Son to reveal the Father to whom He will. It's not because of our own searching. Because we don't search. We don't look. It has to be revealed to us. This is the sovereign purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His intention. This is His, His work. is to reveal to us the Father. In John 5.21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. <laughs> In order to know the Father with this intimate knowledge and love, the Son has to choose to reveal the Father to us. We we don't go looking for this knowledge. If the Son doesn't reveal the Father, we'll never know the Father. That's what the Son does. Because you can't and because you don't want to without this revelation. The choice belongs to the Son. It's not yours. The choice belongs to the Father. It's not... Mine. It is the very essence of Trinitarian, Orthodox Christianity that the Father and the Son work together to reveal the truth of God and the necessity of salvation to fallen sinners. And here, to quote Martin Luther, he says, quote, Here, the bottom falls out of all merit, all powers, and abilities of reason, or the free will men dream of, and it counts as nothing before God. Christ must do and give everything. This is the supremacy of Christ. He rules. He reigns. He must do everything. Or to quote Jesus, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The flesh is no help at all. If you've got a King James Bible, the flesh profiteth nothing. It is of no use. But to all that did receive Him, John says, who believed on His name, to them gave He power to become the children of God, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is salvation. So, I'm going to close with this. I'm not going to give any application. I'm going to break all the the rules. Because I don't want to excuse your mind from... Beholding this glory. I just want you to think about this glory of the Savior. And just a few questions. As I describe this sovereign Son, this Supreme Son, and this sovereign God, this Father, my question is just this. Do you know this God? Is this who you know when you think of God? And not just do you think of Him, not just do you try to comprehend Him. Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with this God? Not like your wife. Not like with your, with your co-workers. Not like with the, the gas station attendant. Do you know Him? Do you talk to Him? Does He talk back to you? Do you spend time with Him? Is this the God that you know? Is there really a relationship there? As I, as I placard Jesus, the question is do you know Him? As I think sometimes... We think that we're going to stand before God and have it wrong. And He's going to say, well, you know, minor issues, minor mistakes, it's not that big of a deal. That's not going to happen. We're going to stand before God and He's going to say, "You never, I didn't know you. Depart from Me. I did not know you. And it's eternity from that point on. It, it, they're not minor issues. The character of God, the character of Christ, they're not minor issues. So, do you know this God? Do you have a relationship with this Father through this Supreme Son, through the ruling and reigning Christ? And if not, you need to settle that. You need to get that You need to fall at His mercy and beg that the Son would reveal to you the Father. And I'll sit here all day and talk with anybody who wants to talk more about that relationship because it is that important that we know the Father through the means that he has given, which is his only begotten son. So let's pray.